Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Stream from the Paul Korea studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. I hope you've had an awesome week as we close it out. The Ducks are continuing to look for a win this week as they are halfway through their four-game homestand. Wednesday night, the team hosted the Minnesota Wild and also celebrated Military Appreciation Night. There was a lot of really cool activations that happened all throughout the night. Definitely something that I enjoyed seeing. So here are some of my AD's takeaways from this game. A 4-1 to loss for the Ducks, but it was a great start for the team. They looked good in the first period and most of the second period before things started to get away from them. 12 shots in that first period and then out shooting the Wild in the second with 13. A big night for Pavel Regenda, who netted his first career NHL goal. Congratulations to Pavel. It was the icebreaker goal for the game, and he was very happy about that, as he should be after the game. Frank Vetrano set him up nicely in the zone, being patient with the pass to Regenda right in the middle, who rifled it past Philip Gustafson. Now, one of the most crazy parts of the night was Trevor Zegers pulling off the Michigan goal, showing his creativity once again. The fans were going nuts. I couldn't believe it. And then the referees said it was offside. Honestly, what a bummer. I mean, an incredible goal, probably one of the best goals that has ever been taken away, unfortunately. But the ref saying offside, so that's where we were at. The team did go down two defensemen in this game, though, as Kevin Shattenkirk left the game, as well as Nathan Beaulieu. Beaulieu was a part of a big fight in the second period, not long after Zegers's goal was taken away against Connor DeWar. I felt like that certainly brought a lot of momentum into the game and really amplified the tensions throughout the rest of it. Too many penalties in this one, and that was one of the difference makers. Two power play goals from the Wild, both of them by Kirill Kaprizov. That has been an area that the Ducks really continue to struggle on is that penalty kill. But you can note that it is definitely a challenge to play with four defensemen at the NHL level going down with two of them. Head coach Dallas Aikens also noted that in the post game. The team did have an off day on Thursday, but are practicing Friday in anticipation for their next game on Saturday. A very positive piece of news on the team front that I would like to share Jamie Drysdale had successful surgery last Friday performed by the Ducks team orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Brian Scholes. Great news for Jamie as he begins the recovery process. The Ducks will be at home on Saturday night when they host the Chicago Blackhawks for a 7 p.m. puck drop at Honda Center. You can listen to the game right here on Stream, as always with the call by Steve Carroll, Dan Wood, and Josh Brewster. I am very excited to introduce today's interviewee as Mike Embrick, a voice that I grew up listening to and is very beloved in the hockey community. Doc is a staple for sports broadcasters, and I am so excited to share my conversation with him. So here it is. A very special guest joins us now on Light the Lamp, one of the most recognizable voices in not only hockey, but sports as well. Let's welcome broadcaster Mike Emmerich. Doc, so great to have you join us today. How have you been doing and what's keeping you busy these days? 
uh, Alexis, I am, I'm having a wonderful time in semi-retirement. I'm staying very busy with NBC Sports because they have me doing all kinds of things, including uh, one of the projects I'm working on now, and I do one of these video essays a month, is talking with former college hockey players about old rinks, okay. including one that you might be familiar with because the ROTC at Michigan State uh, works out there, but that used to be the home of the Spartans hockey team, <laughs> Dem Hall. Yes. And I, I was just talking with Bill Watt about a week ago. Bill played four years for the Spartans from 66 to 70. Uh, they played in Dem Hall. They had to dress in Jenison Fieldhouse, <laughs> put on sneakers, carry their skates across because there was no dressing room facility in old Dem Hall. And of course, it's been wonderfully improved with Mun Arena and new renovations there. Uh, but uh, we're talking uh, college hockey, and that's kind of fun. I'm, I'm going to be, be talking with some other longtime college players about what it used to be like. And, of course, what it's like now, which is much more progressive. <laughs> and I don't want to live in the past, but because I know you are with those ducks, I always enjoyed coming to Anaheim for games when I was doing the Devils. And one of our first trips that we ever made there was at Christmas time. And I bought a T-shirt that has never been worn. But look at this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is amazing. Isn't that wonderful? Mighty what Christmas. A, I yeah, love that. A, it, it, of course, was the old uh, insignia of the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim <laughs> during those years. But the very early years when we came out there, of course, there there were so many uh, things. I'm sure they're so innovative now that they have all of this with the current logo. But back then, it was uh, unique with the with the uh, Santa Claus hat and the cross candy canes. And I love that. All of that. Yeah, that's, that's that, really neat. Those were fun times to come <laughs> out there. And uh, and of course, they were great times for Eddie Olchek and Pierre Maguire and myself when the Niedermeyers were uh, were holding court. And uh, there was a big celebration <laughs> one night there at Center Ice. That was pretty special, too. Well, we might as well jump into that and talk about that night and uh, being a part of it for you. Oh, it, it was uh, kind of phenomenal in a way because I don't know that Ottawa was expected to be the opponent that much. And I'm not so sure uh, that the Ducks were expected to be there. They had quite a series with Detroit to get there. And Detroit was, was certainly a powerhouse of that era. They had won in 97, 98, as well as in 02. And they were going to be there and win again in 08. But it was it was uh, Anaheim's year. And they had uh, they had Chris Pronger and they had the Niedermeyers and they had some splendid goaltending uh, with uh, J.S. Jaguar, as I recall. And um, just it was it was a phenomenal thing to see. And I'll never forget uh, because it was a lot of time and a clear advantage for the Ducks as we rolled down into the final five minutes. And so it was one of those times as an announcer that you have time to really summarize not only the season, but the playoff run, but also talk about individual players because it's clear they're going to win. If you have a nail biter, like we did the following year and the year after that with Detroit and Pittsburgh, where it's right down to the last moment, uh, you basically just say so and so are the Stanley Cup champions. But with this, you had a lot of time to really 
milk it to the conclusion. Uh, but the the gathering of people on the ice, Temu Solani tearfully telling Pierre Maguire that he thought he was retiring. Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't happen, but he <laughs> thought afterwards that that was going to be it. Uh, all of those things were in our memory bank following that celebration. Brian Burke and I, for years, uh, it seemed, but it was only one year, uh, traveled across the aisle on a bus together in the American Hockey League. He was an erstwhile right winger for a delightful group of thugs called the Maine Mariners in the American Hockey League. <laughs> and uh, I was a broadcaster, and that was his first year of pro hockey and my first year in the American League. And uh, Brian, of course, wound up uh, coming in as the general manager uh, in that year when they rolled down the stretch and became the Stanley Cup champions. So I was happy for him. We aren't able to play favorites on a network telecast. But once it was all done, I was happy for him and happy for all the fans in Anaheim. Certainly a very memorable time. And as someone who is still new here in Anaheim, only a couple months, it's been really joyful to learn about the incredible past that this organization has. And I love hearing a story like that, just kind of giving me a, a picture of what it was like back then. Well, the, the history is not terribly long compared to what it might be <laughs> right. if you had just joined the Red Wings or the Bruins, but <laughs> it's uh, it's all interesting. And the wonderful thing is it does have a Stanley Cup behind it. And of course, we don't want to leave behind uh, the current uh, uh, crop of ducks, you're only four points, as you and I are talking, you're only four points out of a wild card. And as we have often seen, this is a long season. Mm -hmm. And so much can happen, as happened with the St. Louis Blues three years ago, four yep. years ago, when uh, they didn't get off to the best start, but they wound up winning the whole thing in seven games. And you do have Trevor, uh, who... <laughs> who did it again, uh, came up with another one of those lacrosse masterpieces. Yep. <laughs> and so that's the delightful thing. I, I did 3,700 and some gang on games, and I, I just enjoyed every one of them, even if the matchup that night was not going to be particularly exciting, because you never had any clue as to what was going to happen in the course of the evening. And there it was again. Uh, <laughs> He, was he going to haul out the uh, the lacrosse? Well, yeah, he sure was. And so good for him and good for everybody that watched on TV or paid the price of admission to mm -hmm. see it. That's the fun thing. You never know what's going to happen. This isn't wrestling. It's not it's not choreographed. I hope I didn't give away anything to anybody. <laughs> but uh, this is this is fantastic action in hockey. And it's just as exciting for me now with the current era of players as it was back in the snarly era of the 1970s when we had games that might go three and a half hours and the penalty sheet that would be really, really full <laughs> by the end. Why am I smiling? <laughs> <laughs> Thinking back on that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> well, you were part of a number of amazing moments throughout hockey history, calling those games, Stanley Cup finals, Olympic moments. I mean, you name it, you've called it. Uh, let's talk about some of those moments that stand out to you, maybe some of your favorite calls. I remember you telling me the story about the Penguins Winter Classic calling Sidney Crosby's overtime goal in 2000, or shootout goal in 2008. Uh, what are some other memories that stand out to you? Well, I think probably, um, and it's not because of necessarily 
anything I said, but it was probably what I didn't say. Uh, you know, I have a tremendous grasp of the obvious, and sometimes the obvious is you shouldn't say a thing. Um, the 2010 gold medal game between the U.S. and Canada was a great memory for me in that I got to be there. It was the U.S. and Canada. And it was the day of the gold medal or uh, the day of the gold medal game for men's hockey, but also the day of the closing ceremony. It was a Sunday afternoon and we knew that a lot of TVs would be turned on during the afternoon perhaps because there is hockey and a lot of people didn't watch hockey except every four years for the Olympics. It was U.S. and Canadian athletes and that sort of fit with all of North America. Uh, it was on before people were going to watch the closing ceremony from Vancouver, British Columbia. So it wasn't halfway around the world, which also triggered a lot of interest. But for me, it was, I think, the best example of our sport to show people that didn't watch it all the time. And here's why. The game uh, featured uh, um, wonderful goaltending. Um, I remember uh, Eddie Olchek was talking about Roberto Luongo, the goaltender for Canada, early. And he sensed that Roberto was shaky in goal. And so he started to say, if I'm at the U.S. bench, I go out there and I shoot on this guy from anywhere because he doesn't look secure. Mm -hmm. And at the other end, Ryan Miller seems to be a familiar name in Anaheim, too. <laughs> yep. Ryan Miller was spectacular for the United States. And so we had a game that really exemplified the best of hockey in that it went down to the last minute. Goaltender was pulled for an extra attacker. And the United States tied it up on a very late goal out of a net mouse scramble by Zach Parisi. So now it was going to overtime. So consider the, uh, the whole notion of a lot of TVs on and the ones that weren't turned on for the closing ceremony. There were people that were communicating via cell phones or via conventional phones to other people saying, have you, have you been watching this hockey game? And if the answer was no, they turned it on because it was going to sudden death overtime. There was a full intermission before the overtime. So there was a lot of time for this kind of communication. And um, then uh, Crosby scored in overtime and um, the gold medal was decided uh, wisely. Um, and I learned this from several people that are broadcasters. Once the goal was scored and I said the gold medal to Canada, I said nothing mm -hmm. because we have professionals that operate cameras and our producers in the truck and directors in the truck. And this was their moment to shine, to get the discouragement of the U.S. team, the celebration of the Canadian team, perhaps a few fan reactions in the crowd, and then the handshakes. Nothing needed to be said and anything that was going to be said, I thought would detract from the moment that we were watching. Mm -hmm. And before the medals were handed out, uh, Pierre Maguire was not working for us that day. He was working for Canada, but we had the rights to play some interviews. And we had on, excuse me, we had on Ryan Miller and Sidney Crosby. And both of them spoke so eloquently about 
the competition, the Olympics, and the playing of the game. And I thought, if we could handpick a game to show people that hadn't seen it much, it was a hard-fought game, outcome was in doubt, went to overtime, and we had two of the best spokesmen for the sport to speak about it afterwards. We couldn't do any better than that. Hmm. And from 1980, this was the highest viewed hockey telecast in the United States. Wow. Not a tribute to me. <laughs> it was a tribute to the athletes and the situation. Now, you spent 21 seasons with the New Jersey Devils as well in the NHL. How much does New Jersey mean to you? Well, it means a lot because of um, what you will experience in Anaheim when you have been there 21 years. <laughs> you will have seen guys come in through training camp as raw rookies, be sent to the minors, come back up, go back down, come back up again, and then succeed and make the team and then become longtime NHL players. And then if the moons align right, and for me, it aligned right three times, win a championship. Mm -hmm. And that will be magical for you, just like it is for them, because you're associated with the team. I got the ride, the coattails of a Hall of Fame goaltender named Marty Brodeur. I came in for the second stint. My first stint was three years long. <coughs> Excuse me. It was three years long, and they had three losing seasons. They weren't even close to the playoffs. Dave Lewis, who was later a coach in the NHL, uh, was a player on the team. He said it was the best group of guys he ever played with that couldn't win a hockey game. Uh, that's what it was like for three years. When I came back for the first of 18 straight, Jacques Lemaire had just been hired as coach, Larry Robinson as assistant, Marty Brodeur was a rookie goaltender. I rode their coattails through all those winning seasons and three championships. It was just luck. That's all it was. That's amazing. I, I just think about growing up and listening to your voice on all of those moments. And it's just been so special. And I, I, I know now that a lot of fans do miss hearing your voice in hockey. So I'm wondering, do you miss calling games? Um, there's some nights that I, I watch games a lot, mm. but um, I can't say that there's been a night that I said, boy, I wish I were there doing this game. I had all of those games, which I enjoyed. And I enjoyed all the colleagues that I worked with, but there came a time when I was really satisfied with just staying home, which they allowed me to do in my final playoff year. Mm -hmm. And I worked the games at home. And then even though they were able to close up the gap of the telecast on the distance between the video and my voice, um, I just realized that I'd had my round number of 40 years <coughs> of NHL games, and that was certainly just enough. And so the grind of travel and all of that, I don't miss, but um, I sure did enjoy my time. That's for sure.
So all the relationships that you built with people, a couple weeks ago, we had Edzo right here on Light the Lamp, and he said to ask you about buying 50-50 tickets in arenas. He said that he might have corrupted you was the word he used. Uh, I'd like to hear the story behind the 50-50s. Well, Eddie is um, a gambler. (laughs) Does that strike you as new information? No. Okay. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we um, 50-50 started to become very popular about 10 years or so ago. And he would reach in his pocket as soon as a 50-50 was flashed up on the board as to how valuable it was. He wouldn't go for any of these little $10,000 ones in some arenas. But if it got big enough, he immediately would reach into his pocket. Well, and he said, we'll split it. Well, you're going to feel a little bit chintzy if all of a sudden he's buying all the tickets, (laughs) but he's willing to divide the money 50-50. So anyway, we started alternating, which meant that I was no longer a non-gambler. I was in on the 50-50. So (laughs) one night at Joe Lewis Arena, he nudged me and he said, Doc, it's up to (laughs) $32,000. The Red Wings were playing the Flyers. And it was, yeah, it was just another night of kicking in money. Mm -hmm. Now in the third period, I'll never forget the play. If you can imagine, Red Wings are going right to left. Henrik Zetterberg is doing, going down the right wing boards into the Flyers zone. And out of the corner of my eye, because Eddie worked to my right, I see these arms going up and down like this. And anyway, so eventually another 45 seconds or so goes and then play stops. And then we go to commercial. And Eddie's punching me and he said, we won the 50 50. (laughs) And so anyway, he motions one of our assistants over and he hands her the ticket because it has to be returned that you have to take Mm -hmm. it down that night. Uh, She comes back up and he has to give her his driver's license. (laughs) Because there has to be appropriate ID as to who gets the money. And after taxes, I think it was, I think the 32 came down to 16 and after taxes, nine. So we got about 4,500 apiece. Um, (laughs) And we continued to play it for the rest of my years with Eddie. Oh, wow. Never won a dime. (laughs) Not one dime. So we figured that we probably lost all the 4,500 each back. (laughs) Well, when he comes to Anaheim this season, I'm going to have to make sure he gets another 50-50 ticket. You go in half. I'll go in half with him on that. (laughs) You should. You should. Now, another one of your colleagues, Darren Pang, was also on Light the Lamp a couple weeks ago, and he, we talked about his catchphrase, holy jumping. And for you, I know you had quite an array of vocabulary. So I'm curious as to what might have been your favorite and what the story behind it would be. I have none. <laughs> uh, honestly, and I, I'm not trying to give you a short answer. I really didn't have one. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a signature call. Um, nothing like that. Um, 
some guys have things that are memorable, but I tried to react to the situation and just go with something then. But no, I didn't have anything like that. Um, Eddie's son, when I signed something to him, he asked me to uh, put in quotes, hit the post with the shot. Now, that's not terribly creative or unique, but he felt it was, as I did, an exciting play in the game when a shot hits the post. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't go in. Uh, and he asked me to put that down, but I, I don't know that that was necessarily a signature call. A lot of guys say mm-hmm. it. So I don't think I had one mm-hmm. really don't. Well, that's okay because <clears throat> your vocabulary in general was something that a lot of fans remember on broadcast. Uh, now you were the first broadcaster to be inducted into the U S hockey hall of fame. How, emotional was that moment for you to see your career celebrated at such a high level? Anytime that you get an honor of any kind, you are usually at a banquet where you can't eat because you don't really feel comfortable doing that before you speak. And you're at a table with your family and at an adjacent table are people you work with. Mm-hmm. And this is probably the only time or one of the rare times in your life when your work family and your real family intersect. Mm-hmm. And it's usually only when you get an honor like that. I've been blessed to have several of those occasions, but that's probably what I remember most about it. Kevin Allen, with whom I later wrote a book, but we didn't have yes. that in mind at the time, was there, he and his wife, and uh, my wife and I were there, and her brother and sister-in-law were there, and you remember that, mm-hmm. uh, but then Eddie was there, and uh, Sam Flood from NBC, and so you had the people you work with and the people that you live with um, were in the same room at the same time. and. On almost every other occasion in your life, they're separate. Well, let's talk about that book that you just mentioned off mic. I actually read the book. It's It came out two years ago, I believe, at this point. Uh, what was that experience like writing the book? Obviously, you mentioned it wasn't, in, it wasn't the plan, but what was that like for you? I tried for nine years to write it myself. Hmm. And when I hooked up with Kevin after he came from the same press conference I did the morning of a morning skate in Pittsburgh during the final in 2018, he had it done in a year. Mm. And we met for probably three recorded sessions, and I gave him all of the feeble attempts that I had written down in trying it. And that's the difference between an amateur. (laughs) <laughs> and a professional. Uh, he had he uh, had 34 years in at USA Today covering hockey, mm-hmm. and he was used to writing uh, concisely and on deadline, and I was not, and it showed. And he had that thing done, and he had connections with a publisher, and we had that cranked out, he doing most of the work. And the unfair part is, my name was in probably double size type compared to his. Mm. 
should have been even, if not his being bigger, because he did most of the heavy lifting. Well, if you haven't read that book, I would highly re recommend it as it has many of your stories throughout it, including how you got into broadcasting and growing up in Indiana, which for anyone that is listening and doesn't know a little bit of your journey, uh, what was it like growing up in the Midwest and getting into broadcasting when you did? Well, the good thing was there was hockey about 45 miles away. Mm-hmm. We had a professional team there that we have to this day called the Fort Wayne Comets, spelled with a K in Fort Wayne, Indiana. There was a professional basketball team there called the Fort Wayne Zollner Pistons, later moved to Detroit. But the hockey team was live hockey, not on television. And the chance that I had to see a game live was because of them. And um, that was even though we had basketball around every corner and we had a lot of baseball and those were great sports, I wanted to be a baseball announcer from age nine to 14. But when I was 14, I saw my first Comets game live and I was hooked. <laughs> and that's what happens with a lot of people, isn't mm -hmm. it, Alexis? It you is. You see a game live and that's one of the things that colleges and the minors and junior hockey do for the NHL and for other professional teams is they expose people to the game for the first time live. And that's mm. what that's what hooks you. That's what hooked me a long time ago. I can really relate to that. I think back on when I <clears throat> was watching some of my very first hockey games and growing up uh, in Youngstown, Ohio, I was born in Pittsburgh. So was a Penguins fan growing up uh, and that that really introduced me into hockey and I think it's so special and unique with this sport, what a family it feels like. And I'm really starting to see that now being here with the Ducks. And I'm sure you obviously understand that and that hockey just really has a homey feel to it. Yeah, and it's a unique sport. And I haven't been around the other sports that much. I got to do some in, uh, from NCAA basketball. I got to do some NFL um, I got to do one major league baseball game as documented in the book, thanks to Bob Costas being so kind to me. Uh, but most of what I've done is hockey. And so I can't speak for the other sports, but I can speak for this one in that uh, you play for the team. And I know this is trite. You play for the team, not the individual. But here's an example. About a month ago. Uh, I was asked to speak locally mm -hmm. at a fundraiser for the YMCA. Now, in our town, we have had uh, minor league hockey for 46 of our 60 years that the arena has been there. The first 19 years, there was a team called the Port Huron Michigan Flags in the IHL, same league as Fort Wayne was in. Uh, they folded in 1980. But when a number of those players heard that there was an event going on in the arena and it was all about hockey, they decided to come back. One came from Calgary, one came from Washington, one came from Tampa, another came from St. Louis. Mm. And there were 13 that made a trip on their own dime to come back for that night. These guys were in their late 60s early 70s. 
They were coming back to celebrate a team that some of them only played for for one season before they went to leagues of higher classification. There was an incident between two of the players that were back there that night who one year, the one year that they were opponents, had an incident that resulted in stick swinging and suspensions and everything else. And they had not seen each other for 45 years. And yet, when they wound up seeing one another as former members of the same team, though not in the same year, they embraced, they laughed, Mm. and they talked about that incident and got over it. Why? Because the team is bigger than the individual. And because the family was together, either, even though that incident had not been forgotten, it was forgotten then, and they buried the hatchet, and they were laughing like they were buddies, because they had become that. And that's what our sport has been like, and I think it still is. The money has changed at some, sure. Mm-hmm. The athletes are bigger, stronger, faster. They put on a big show because they are so skilled and they come from all over the world. But the sport is still a team sport. And the best players that we have spend a majority of the time in the game on the bench, not on the ice. It takes everybody. Mm. I love that. That's that's a really great story, and I think it it really does embrace the culture of the sport. Uh, I'm curious, do you stay in touch with a lot of the people in the hockey world still? Yeah, um, by phone or by emails or because I try to be conscious of one thing. They are working. I am not. And the thing that is the greatest temptation to do while you're watching them work is to send them a text and you realize that's a distraction that they don't deserve, even though they might not say so. Uh, so I try to stay away from their game time and their game days, but I, I love watching guys work that enjoy what they do. And so uh, I, I did break down and text Eddie during his Pittsburgh Washington game last night too. Uh, but. Uh, but I, I kept it to uh, one one or two comments during the first period. And then I said, that's it for the night. Enjoy the rest of your game. I'm going to watch, but I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but no, I do. I stay in because that's one of the great relationships that you have with people Absolutely. Uh, that you work with. And even though they may have been with the Flyers 35, 40 years ago, or with the Devils 25 or 30 years ago, um, that doesn't mean that you never stay in touch. It's It goes on forever. Doc, I'm so glad that we have been able to stay in touch over the years since we first met at Michigan State. It has been such a pleasure having you on Light the Lamp today, and I'm so glad we got to catch up and hear some of your stories. On the banks of the Red Cedar. <laughs> So it's a morning skate in Boston, and it's a TD Garden, and always going out first is the backup goalie for the Bruins, whoever it happens to be, and the goalie coach, Bob Essenza. 
And then they stay out longer because the rest of the team comes off because there's a game that night. The backup goalie gets the extra work. He goes out early and he comes off last. And so does the assistant coach, the goalie coach. And all I said when I saw him coming off the ice was on the banks of the Red Cedar. (laughs) And he said, there's a school that's known to all. (laughs) That's awesome. You, You got it. For anyone listening, that is part of the Michigan State fight song (laughs) in case you don't know so (laughs) i'm so happy you're in the nhl young lady i'm proud of you thank you so much (laughs) (laughs) listening to doc stories will never get old i've known him for a couple years now and he is just the kindest person and has the most amazing outlook on life i really admire that about him and the way he treats everyone it's just with the utmost respect i hope you enjoyed that interview as much as i did it's time for my final quack for this episode where i share my last thoughts before the end of the show join us on saturday night to celebrate law enforcement appreciation night when the ducks welcome the chicago blackhawks to town for a 7 p.m puck drop Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again for more hockey talk here on Duckstream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.